Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 303, Top 10 Board Game Covers. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode on Twitch. All right, Anthony, we are back. And through the power of Twitch, we'll actually be able to show images on screen <laughs> art for the very first time where people can follow along unless they're listening to the podcast. And if they're listening to the podcast, not to worry, I will do my best to describe what's on the screen. But nonetheless, Anthony, it's a it's an episode about board game art. It is. Yeah. It, it's great because we did one of these oof, maybe two months ago and we had the, this exact conversation before we went on. We're like, we should do a video. What are we doing? We're describing artwork to an audio <laughs> podcast. This is insane. And uh, here we are. Now we're, we fixed the problem, everybody. <laughs> and if you're listening to so, this and you want to see it, just head on over to YouTube. You catch it there. So that's perfect, Anthony. So if you are currently on Board Game Arena, the actual online video game site at the moment that this is happening and you're watching the embedded feed, please jump over to Twitch. We are broadcasting live. You'll get to jump in the audience. Hit us up with everything that you want to say. And it's just really a good time at the table. And again, if you're not, then you'll be able to capture and watch these videos later. Right, Anthony? They could find these if they want to watch and see all the great board game box covers? Yes, yes. And so here's the trick to it. We are on Board Game Arena. So if you want to watch the replays, you got to hit up Board Game Arena's Twitch and their YouTube channel. So... Head on over to uh, twitch.tv slash boardgamearena or search for Board Gamers Anonymous in uh, YouTube and you should find us there. Um, if you want the audio version, that's all on our side. So <laughs> we have that on our website. <laughs> um, and I do try to add the links as well to those replay, the video replays when I put up the episode every week. Absolutely. So if you're a Patreon backer, you're getting all this great stuff early. If you're listening, you're getting BGA like you always did. And again, come on Twitch. Hit us with a subscription so you can follow along with us because we have a, so much good stuff going on there. And again, this episode, our feature episode, is all about literally judging a book by its cover <laughs> or judging a game by its cover. So we're not going deep. This is a surface-level episode. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, this, this one's all you, man. We, <laughs> we talked about this last week. I famously like a lot of games that are very ugly. So... I don't really notice when something's <laughs> ugly. I'm just like, I just want the mechanics to be cool. Sure. I want to solve a cool puzzle. If it's pretty on top of that, great. That's awesome. But we that's frequently great. have had these conversations where you're like, mm, no, that's no good. I'm like, no, it's no good. It's no good. So, <laughs> Well, to be fair, you do play 18 double X yeah. games. So. To be double fair, some of the new mm -hmm. ones are actually quite nice looking. 18 Chesapeake, that they is pretty. Are. They are. I give you that. So that will be our feature review, so stick with us, and if you want to hit us up in the chat, do so. Let us know what some of your favorite covers are, but Anthony, there's so much stuff going on with BGA, and we want to let all of our listeners and our viewers know all about that. There's so much happening. Anthony, tell everybody about all the stuff that's happening. All the stuff. Do it now. <laughs> Get on it. Do it. <laughs> all right so i did not grab a slide for this but i think we mention it every week so you're gonna find it uh t public 
is a website that sells t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and all sorts of cool stuff um, with our logos on it. And you can just go there and buy stuff and it's awesome. And because it's December, most of it is on sale right now to some degree. I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every week. They have like these sales before Christmas. So if you want BGI merch, like we're wearing right now, <laughs> or the BGA Live, um, you can head on over there. You just find the link on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Click Merch at the very top, and you'll be able to choose from any of the various logos that are up there. So check that out. If you purchase on those days, I think it's up to like 35 40% off. So yeah. good stuff. Absolutely. Everything's on sale right now. These make fantastic gifts for any gamer in your life. And again, they have been superiorly crafted in such a way that you do not have to feel like an extrovert loving board games, but nonetheless, it expressed to everyone that you want to get a game to the table, so you will talk about board games despite being the awesome introvert that you yeah. are. <laughs> so, that's all very good stuff out there. Uh, Anthony, but beyond Board Gamers Anonymous t-shirts, hoodies, and all the other kind of fun stuff, we have another thing that we do on Wednesdays. And actually, in fact, if you're listening to it, it's Wednesday. It's right now. Weird. It's tonight. Somewhere around there. 2020 has been yes, hard, dude. Man. Don't even ask me about time anymore. No, Monday's a Wednesday? It's no good. Uh, it can be sometimes. <laughs> so PGA Live, that is our weekly live show, or I guess our other weekly live show on Board Game Arena. And in this one, we actually watch or play through games from Board Game Arena. Um, this week on 12... 9, December 9th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, um, you're going to catch Alhambra, episode 14 of the show. So make sure you check that out. Uh, we will be up at 8.30, the same time as we run this show, and you'll be able to watch Russ and several of our listeners and viewers and friends hop on and play a game of Alhambra. We'll talk through it. It's one of my favorite games, actually, so I'm looking forward to this one quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So hit us up. Our Game Master, Russ, will be putting that together Wednesday when you listen to this. It's dropping 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, just like the podcast and just like the live feed, they're both available online. So you can watch all the great goodness of games going on, you know, if you don't happen to be live. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with us. And we are talking about so much great stuff that's happening. Let's talk about the most important people out there, our listeners and viewers, What's our question of the week? Question of the week this week. I asked everybody, what game would you most like to see a new expansion for? We talked about our favorite expansions not too long ago. And so I figured, sure, why not talk about some new ones? And I was mostly inspired by the ridiculous amount of money I just paid for the Twilight Imperium expansion. Leg oh, no. <laughs> legitimately more than almost every game I own, just for the expansion for this other game. So, But it's cool. It has a lot of cool stuff for you know the future when we can play games again like that. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and talk through a few games that people mentioned on um, our Facebook page. Uh, this is one of the places you can go to answer Ooh. this question. We post these two or three times a week as the question of the day on Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, so facebook.com slash boardgamersanonymous or twitter.com slash BGA podcast. And if you answer a question, there's a good chance we'll read it out here on the podcast or on the other show. On BGA Live, because we do we do this twice. Ooh. <laughs> twice. <laughs> Kicking things off is one that I fully agree with, because this is one of those like low-key, really good games that was maybe hot for like 10 minutes and then disappeared. And that's Ethnos. So Gary mentioned this mm -hmm. one on the Facebook page. Ethnos is mm -hmm. one of the very few games that plays 
quite well with six people, right? It it does a good okay. job with a large group of players. It's area control, but it also has this yeah. um, kind of drafting style mechanic where you're drawing different cards out, you know, not drafting, but like tick to ride style where you're just pulling different cards and trying to build combos in your hand to be able to go down and do things. And each of those races that you will use to place your tokens on the board is different. It has a special power of some kind. But they've never released any new ones except like one promo, sure. which is impossible to find because it's Simon and that's what they do. <laughs> so a full-blown yeah. expansion with like four to six new factions would be amazing. Well, Anthony, you know, speaking of board game covers, I think we should take half a second to mention how super metal the ethnos cover is with like these massive fantasy races just (laughs) slamming into each other and hardcore action and then you open the game box and it's like the most pedestrian abstract game you've ever seen yeah talk about misleading and it's from simon so you see this cover and you're like oh look at all these miniatures i'm gonna get and it's this tiny little box (laughs) and they're all cards and you get that artwork on the cards but it's the same artwork for every card for each faction. It's a shame. They went and got John Howe to do the artwork. You know, just classic fantasy artist. And the cover is amazing, amazing. but that's about it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, again, just great cover. I mean, you just want to own that game, but nothing inside looks like no. the outside. But the game's real good. <laughs> I love the game. The yeah. game's good. Ooh. Fort. There we go. Fort Ooh. is a game that we've talked about like a dozen times already since it came out. Uh, we reviewed it sure a ways back i don't remember exactly what episode but uh, we both gave it a buy fantastic mm-hmm. my kids love it chris i know you love it it's way up in your top 100 yeah. now and several people on the list uh or who wrote in drew included wrote fort seems really good there's a ridiculous amount of potential here i don't think the yes. rest of the world loves this game as much as we do so i i, I agree I, just based on the ratings <laughs> on bgg and some of the other reviews i've seen a lot of people are like i wish there was more and I could see that. Like, you want there sure. to be a little bit more. I don't think that's the point of the game, but I think it would be cool if they did no. add more. No, I agree, too. And, and I, I think Leader Games already mentioned that there is an expansion in the works. I haven't seen Leader Games do a giant expansion. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we'll get, like, a $30, $40, $50 expansion that's kind of kind of, like, blow the game up. I'd like to see that because I think it's a great right. game. But like you said, Anthony, it doesn't really thematically play out that way you know again great artwork on the cover i mean just it's just so indicative of what you see inside and it's just about kids kids playing around and making friends and building a fort so i don't know what else you could do to make it bigger i think there's a lot of great games out there and they just don't get to the table and they don't get the exposure that they deserve so it's a bit of a shame yeah, I think this one definitely would have been a little hotter if we'd had convention season. If this had come out at Gen Con, yeah. like it, I think it was probably supposed to, it would have gotten played yeah. a lot. You know, Russ in the chat saying he wants Fort the Expansion, more toys, more pizza. Ooh, yeah. So <laughs> I toast him for that because I think that's a good yeah, idea. That'd be, that'd be really cool. All right, mm-hmm. so next one on the list here, we had a mention for uh, from Jeremiah. Oh, yeah. The Godfather, Corleone's Empire. This uh, was an Eric Lane game that came out, I believe, three years ago. And... It was really good. It was this clever, kind of car-driven area control game taking place in New York, you know, mostly Manhattan, but also parts of Brooklyn. And I really enjoyed it quite a bit, but it did get old fairly quickly. I feel like I've played it four, five, six times. I don't remember exactly how many, but enough that I was like, I've seen what this game can do. And more importantly, people who I played with in my game group were like, 
we've seen what this game can do. So <laughs> it has not been played since. We played it a Aww. bunch of times over a two-month period, and then it's been in storage since then. So I would love to see more content, you know. I don't even remember how much they pulled from the sequels, if anything, but just more. Just figure something out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think beyond the cover, and I guess we're this is going to be a whole box cover episode, but this is also very true for the game. The box cover is wonderful. Yeah. It really is such a beautiful piece of artwork. And then you play the game inside, and it I don't even know if it's even tangentially related to the source material. It's just very generic like here's drugs and alcohol right. and you're trying to move things and you're just like wait a minute i saw the godfather in the cover there's no there's, you know there's nothing here in the cards i i mean i i could see that i i would see something as far as like an expansion brought maybe like family powers into right. play right that that's always a kind of like a a, a standard right we're well, coming up with an expansion each family has a certain thing that they do really well so right it could be something like that yeah i think we're seeing a theme already. Two out of the three are Simon games that were not released on Kickstarter. And yes, <laughs> I think what ends up happening there, of course, is they release the game. It doesn't sell as much as they want it to. And of course, they're not going to make more content for it because they're used to making $5 yes. million off of a game, um, <laughs> which is not the norm, I don't think. I don't know the industry that well from the money side, but I don't think that's normal. So if you make $5 million off this, no, $4 million. Oh, forget it. <laughs> not doing that. We're done. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's The Godfather. I agree. So far, I agree with all of these. Uh, the next one up uh, was a mention of Horrified. So this Ooh, one is cool. from Chris, who mentions he would like to see more monsters, maybe some new mechanisms involved. So this one okay. is, it's a cooperative game where you are trying to defeat different universal movie monsters. Each of them, though, has different things that they do and different conditions by which you beat them. So it ends up being very sure. asymmetrical, players versus the monsters. But you're also dealing with multiple monsters at a time uh, based on the difficulty level. So there's a lots of different combinations out of the box. So if you add more, there's even more combinations out of the box. So, yeah, I, I would love to yeah. see that. Nice. Yeah, I still haven't played this game. I, I think this is something I would really enjoy, just have not gotten the chance to pick it up. Yeah, this was a like a kind of a treat almost. Like I didn't expect much out of it, but I, I was... Last year, I was like, ah, I just need a Halloween game because we're going to have a Halloween game day. I picked it up, oh, yeah. and we played it a couple times. Like, ah, this is actually really good. So, All right, next up, Star Wars Outer Rim. Yeah, Ooh. this one is a Fantasy Flight game. So another company that releases content that maybe should have more content um, mixed in. And uh, so we had a recommendation for this one um, from Derek. And I think for this game in particular... It, honestly, it's just the same syndrome as every Fantasy Flight game. There's just, it's always the basics, right? Everything you need is there to play the game, and you get everything out of it fairly quickly. And mm -hmm. most of the time, you kind of just expect that there's going to be more content afterwards. And sometimes there's not. And you're like, no, but now it's not yeah. that good. <laughs> right? I had that with Civilization A New Dawn. Like, I played that game, and I loved it. But yeah. again, like five, six plays, you got kind of, I don't know, seen it all. And then... After three years, I'm like, they're never going to release an expansion for this. And then they did, which is amazing. But it, it definitely can kill a game if you don't see it for a while. Yeah, and I think especially when it comes to such a massive IP like that, that it lives and dies based on that. So when you're paying that kind of premium price for a board game and you get it to the table and it doesn't have all of the fun pieces you want to play with, it's like, why do I have this again? Oh, one guy I really like 
one guy that's okay and five generic people yeah. <laughs> just like all right yeah uh, okay no i get it expansions i, I yeah no i don't want yeah. anymore <laughs> yeah this one in particular too it was their take on firefly that whole formula of like sandboxy going out pew 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 space fighting smuggling pick up and deliver and firefly is this big sprawling thing of a game with all these expansions and everything yeah. and then this is just a normal 50 60 box with not a ton of content in it so i could like Absolutely. i have it i don't love it i think it's on my trade pile so <laughs> um all right so one more on the list here uh runebound third edition so this was okay. released uh i think three or four years ago at this point is the third edition of mm -hmm. this game, which is like a big overland adventure exploration type of game um, in the Terranoth universe. And like most Terranoth games, some people buy it. <laughs> Not enough, apparently. They, I think they did release I have one it. expansion for this. And yeah. it, by all accounts, it's very good. I remember playing through parts of it. Um, and like I traded the game eventually because I really didn't like the solo mode on it very much. But sure. we had three different people say they wanted an expansion for this game. So there's definitely desire for it uh and sure. i think any game like this that has like that sandbox big open world almost potential and then they don't release any content for it you're like yeah i remember picking this up i remember playing this and i remember being surprised actually how decent mm -hmm. it was and i think again like you mentioned the way fantasy flight goes is like if they're not making expansions then the game is dead to right. them so it just kind of sits off in the corner and i think this was bargain binned which is a shame because this is actually a decent game in their collection. But I, I think Fantasy Flight does that more than any other company does. Where they're just, it's either living or dying. There's no in-between as far as they're concerned. Yeah, it's frustrating. Like I said, that's what I thought they mm -hmm. were doing to Civilization. I got really lucky that it wasn't. But I think a lot of people get in this boat yeah. with a game and you're like, are you... They did that with um, Heroes of Terranoth, which was like the remake of the the Warhammer card game uh that got canceled because they lost that license but then they're like oh we'll do it in Terranoth, and then they still never release any expansions so now you have i have both of these it's two boxes with just base stuff and still no expansions on this system that's very good so it is always a, a crapshoot if you're going to invest early in a fantasy flight product very much so yeah I, I i think i've stayed away from a lot of their games just because of that i want to see like it's almost like watching sci-fi and fantasy these days where it's like all right, come out with a couple of right. seasons before I I invest in the first season. So that's what that's me and Fantasy Fight Games. Like I don't know, yeah. maybe maybe you'll make it. I'm not sure. So it's like the Netflix thing. Right? Yeah. Netflix is like they're that three season cap that they have on everything, unless it does crazy numbers. So you're like, yeah. I'm just not gonna watch it until I know for sure you're not gonna leave me on a cliffhanger, <laughs> which is apparently what they do to all the time. Um, it hasn't been done to me yet, thankfully, but a lot of shows apparently have burned people. So, yep, that's all of our questions cool. of the week. Thank you for everybody who wrote in. Uh, I don't know if anybody in the chat had any responses Thank you. as well. Uh, I think four of these I agree with, so I wasn't going to add anything to the list myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with all these. I think this, this is a great job. The only thing I would throw in there that's going to be an oddball, because I, I think it needs to be thrown in there, because recently all the Funko games have gone on like massive sales, which is kind of cool. Because, like, if you did want to pick them up and you felt they were a little too expensive for what the game was, now you could pick them up. And I really love the concept of it, that there are all these wacky characters from different realities and universes kind of all thrown together. But 
I never liked the idea that it was this generic hack and slash where you're attacking other players. And I thought that, you know, if they could do an expansion or if they could do like a reprint where maybe you just got some additional cards or different boards, like I would love to see a more of a Euro version of that. Like, hey, you got the Golden Girls. Like, cool. The scenario here is you got a big pie. So it's the Golden Girls versus Jaws and the Kool-Aid Man. Like, that's a thing that could actually happen in this game. And yet they're just doing, oh, you're going to slap at each yeah. other. I'm like, no, I get that. That's fine. But let's do something. Let's keep going. Let's go outside the mainstream. And uh, yeah, so definitely something something like that. Russ is saying we should call it Smash Up. And I think so. But Smash Up is still just hitting each other. I want a different objective is what I'm asking for. Yeah, that'd be cool. I Yeah, the, the Funko formula it's i thought it would be terrible it's actually not bad having played with my kids a couple times uh but it yeah you you want more out of it because it is such a cool idea to have all these little figures running around you're like mixing the batman with the harry potter and the golden girls and the kool-aid man Uh, yeah it's it's awesome (laughs) very cool all right yep that's all of those all right so that's everything from our question of the week if you would like to jump into our question week obviously we are here live on Twitch, on the Board Game Arena channel. So jump into our chat, let us know what you want to add, and I will certainly shout it out. If you are not live, again, you can jump onto these questions of the week each and every week. Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, and of course our Patreon account. Our patrons have special access to our Slack account, where they're talking to us all the time. So please join us, please hit us up, and just let us know what you think. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our question of the week. It's been a while because it's been special episode back to back to back to back, but we're actually doing some acquisition disorders. Uh, yeah, no, we, we haven't done this in a long time, so uh, I had to yes. pare down the list. My my first <laughs> one uh, coming back uh, that I wanted to talk about is Merv, The Heart sure. of the Silk Road. This is from oh. Osprey Games, Fabio Lopiano's new game. And this has been the top of the Board Game Geek hotness for a few days, so I don't think I'm discussing anything here that's like a hidden gem that nobody's seen yet, but I was very excited about it, so I was going to talk about it anyways. Um, <laughs> Fabio Lopiani, he, Lopiano, uh, he uh, p- designed Kalamala, which I know you really like, uh, yeah. and then Ragusa, which I really like. This one came out uh, mm-hmm. last year, and he has a a new one actually coming next year from uh, Board and Dice Zapotec, which looks pretty good as well. Ooh, um, nice. Yeah, so another Zapotec. another building game. And so this <laughs> one immediately caught my eye, especially because it has Eon O'Toole artwork, which is automatic for me. It's just yes. pretty to look at. It's yep. a given. And the, the game itself is billed as an economic game about the rise and mm-hmm. fall of the greatest city in the world. So Merv itself being the city on the Silk Road that was kind of like a... a a crossroads basically for all the things going back and forth right but the mongols came they saw they conquered so it's kind of <laughs> you are going through all these various different like you set up the board and it's just this giant grid of different options obviously very pretty pretty grid because it's you know tool grid yes. um but you'll be moving around the <laughs> this big giant square taking actions based on the different i guess arrows age i forgot the exact phrase from looking this up but there's three separate rounds to the game, each of which you're, you're going to have four actions within. So it's a pretty tight game in terms of 
actions that you take, which kind of fits with his other games. Like Kalamala is a pretty tight, quick game. Ragusa is a very quick, tight game. Like none of those is very long. They're each like 60 to 90 minutes, yes. which is what I like about those. They're very, you make a lot of really important, dense decisions and you feel very intelligent about it, but the game doesn't take three hours. So this appears to be kind of along those lines. And yeah, you're going to be helping to build the city walls. You're going to be, you know, trying to build your own statue of stature, of course, because you are playing an economic game. So you got to come out on top, but you can't ignore it. There's like a bad things will happen if you don't help. Right. So it's kind of like Twa in that way a little bit. I'm looking forward to it. I have been eyeing it. it is available. You can order it now. I'm just eyeing it now. Like, does this fit in my budget with what I've spent on games recently? Because it definitely seems like a game I would enjoy. Yeah, I've seen this a lot. And actually, this was going to be my acquisition disorder, but you beat me to the spreadsheet. So <laughs> I could not add it. And I actually looked at it in a couple of spots, but the pre-order, Anthony, was out. Like it was sold out in a lot of spots. And I really find that weird that a pre-order could be sold out. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just pre-ordering it. You can hold... <laughs> You can give it to me anytime you want. That's the idea of a pre-order. Right. And it's like, the pre-order is sold out. I'm like, huh? All right. So pre-orders are sold out. So, no, I, I yeah, I want this game. <laughs> Fair enough. That's all there is to it. <laughs> this oh, is the man. game I'm looking for. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is available on Amazon if you want to pay full, full price for it. No, um, I don't. <laughs> well, then you do, it's not available at all. Then I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think in the uh, thematic pursuit and spirit of Merv, which was all about bargaining, that I should be paying Amazon prices for this game. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, it's 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 in there. And, and again, since we are talking about board game covers, this is gorgeous. Yeah, and the game itself is gorgeous too. So Eno Tool, I mean, kind of a given. I'm just saying. Yeah, so many games like this, they're like, oh, it takes place in the Middle East, and so you open the box, and everything is brown. Everything is, is brown. Yeah. The whole game is brown. And ugly, ugly brown, too. Ugly, like different shades brown. of brown. Yeah. <laughs> and this one has the classic Eon O'Toole pastels, right? There's purple and yes. blue and orange, and it all, there's texture to it, and it just, I don't know, it looks so nice. Beautiful. All right, so that's all mine. Right. So for me, I want to talk about another beautiful game that's currently up on Kickstarter. And it is all about the Japanese wilderness in the fall. Um, this is Momoji. And it's a relatively short game. This is about a 30-minute game. And basically the idea here is that you're strolling through the forest and you are collecting leaves as you go. So... Again, what really drew me to this game was the beautiful artwork on the box cover, the beautiful artwork of the actual leaf cards themselves. Very attractive, very interesting, very dynamic as far as how they're kind of portrayed in their different scenes. It's just not a, you know, a simple leaf. It's this kind of act of this falling kind of weather. It's just all of these different colors and how it colors the whole landscape. So basically the game is relatively simple. Again, it's a half-hour game, and you are collecting cards. So on your turn, and there's not many actions to this game, but you will be collecting leaf cards. Those cards come out onto like an open display and you can get multiples of the same leaf card out into a tableau. You can even pay an acorn, which is these victory point tokens that you'll get in a number of different ways to add more cards to display. You then choose one of those packs of cards or multiples if you have a special ability 
And then later on in the game, what you'll be able to do is take a different action, which is actually play those leaf cards into your own tableau. Now, what's really interesting about this game, and it did remind me of a lot of other games that we've played previously, whereas you have to line up the cards, you have to kind of like splay or you know build up your tableau in such a way that it starts with zeros and then it moves up to three, and once it hits mm. three, that's it for the set. And you will score points based on how many cards are in that set. So Ooh, if you have your, cool. if you hit the three, and then you say you have six cards, six times three, 18 points. Pretty simple as far as the game's concerned. On top of which, they have these really beautiful landscape cards that are the special ability cards. And you're given three at the beginning of the game. And again, based on these little acorn tokens that you'll get by matching up the cards and several other ways, you'll be able to activate these special abilities, which will allow you to kind of manipulate your tableau and also be able to pick up special abilities. As the game goes on, there's objective tokens that you can pay for, I, get, I think it's three acorns. Again, that's three victory points. And then that works a little bit like Terraforming Mars with the awards, where you take the token and it's a certain objective at the end of the game, but somebody else can win it. Ooh. So <laughs> there is a little kind of hate drafting. Like if, if you're going to all red, Anthony, I'm going to take that because even if you win it, you're not going to get all the points. So, again, it's a relatively short game. It's currently up on Kickstarter. There is a basic edition that you can pick up, and there's a super deluxe edition with an expansion that just adds a little bit more to the game. So if you're interested in MMIG, you can check it out, and you can pick it up by Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. That's cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like good. I, I, I was just looking at it earlier when I was putting up the pictures, and I saw that one of the designers worked on Tang Garden, too. So they apparently have a, uh, a predilection for pretty stuff. <laughs> very much so. Yeah, there's something very attractive about the game. And, and take a look. Again, it's if you're going to play a game that's just a short half-hour game, it should be somewhat beautiful. It should be somewhat attractive. It should be something that just leaves an impact on you. Because usually the weight is not the thing that kind of stands out for you when you play a game of right. that size all right so that's everything that's hopefully hitting our table at some point anthony let's talk about the games that did hit our table this week and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up if those games are a play and they should sit down and play them if those games are a dodge and they should avoid them or if those games are the dreaded burn and no matter how good the box cover is, they got to toss those things out. So what do you have up for us this week? All right. I promised to talk about two different games when we did our uh, our big list last week, our gift guide. So the first of those Fancy. is Whistle, Whistle Mountain. I almost said Whistle Stop. I knew I was going to do that. Um, <laughs> and you did it. I did. Yeah, because of course I did. Uh, <laughs> this is a, a relatively new game from Bezier Games designed by Scott Caputo and Luke Laurie. Scott Caputo is the designer of Whistle Stop. So that's why I said Whistle Stop. That game has almost nothing to do with this other than the artwork, the designer, and a very thin <laughs> connection thematically. They even have a little backstory. Like, you made all this money uh, moving your trains around. Now you can use that money to build some crazy contraption in the sky. It doesn't make any sense. But that doesn't matter. Because <laughs> um, they went out and got Luke Laurie to help on this who has a history of working in other games' universes 
and making a game sure. that's better than the other game from that universe. <laughs> so, um, Luke Laurie, of course, is the designer of Manhattan Project Energy Empire, which is one of my top 100 games of all time. And unfortunately was called Manhattan Project colon Energy Empire because the game is fantastic, but doesn't really have much to do with Manhattan Project other than the little meeples. Similar to that, Whistle Mountain has very little to do with Whistle Stop. But mm-hmm. that said, and Whistle Stop's actually a perfectly fine game, but this is much better. Um, <clears throat> so in this game, you are taking your dirigibles. So you have these three little air balloons, ships, whatever you want to call them, blimps. And these are basically workers that you're going to place out around the board to take various actions. So the actions can be... You can pick up some resources. There's four different types of resources. You can hold four of each of them on your personal player board. You can go pick up upgrades. You can have up to six upgrades. These are relatively Mm -hmm. expensive, but they're all pretty powerful. You can go and you can pick up various um, tiles that you can use to build onto the big crazy mountain contraption thing. So the mountain contraption thing is really just a big grid. And you're going (laughs) to place down scaffolding which are polyominoes but this is not a polyomino game it's okay chris i promise <laughs> you you can place out these polyominoes and they have various different resources on them so that's one of the ways you can get resources they have to touch one other thing but you're going to score points based on where you place them by how many sides they touch so that is one way you can score points the other thing is the machines that you can place on top of the scaffolding so these are small machines medium machines and big machines And the machines will score you points based on what's printed on the machine. But the machine also does something really cool if somebody docks with it later. So if you place your blimp or whatever down next to that on the grid, then you have the option to activate that machine. And those things can be all sorts of cool stuff like drawing cards. There's cards that give you special powers, whole big deck of those, getting free upgrades, moving your meeples off the board. You start with several meeples on the board like where the scaffolding is. And as you move higher and higher, the water level starts rising. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know why. The theme in this is insane. But <laughs> something happens and the river starts to go up or whatever. And if you have meeples down there or workers or whatever, then they go away, which is no good. They go to the whirlpool with negative points. So you want to make sure oh, things no. kind of cycle through. You move them out. You move the meeples over to the scoring level. And then they're going to score points at the end of the game. If you need theme in a game to make sense of the mechanics, this is not the game for you. Because <laughs> it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But the mechanics and the puzzle of it and how everything flows together is so much fun. I had so much fun playing this. Just trying to chain together because you only get those three actions and then you have to take an action to reset. You pull all of those items back and then that's your build phase. So you take three actions and then you build. You can build early. So that's how turn order can change is if somebody builds earlier than someone else. And when you build, you can mess with stuff. Like if you build and meet the criteria, you can bring the water level up and knock somebody else's stuff off the board. So that might be a reason why you do it early, right? So there's a lot sure. of interactivity here in that way. It's it's very clever and all the cool things you can do. And there are polyominoes, but it's not a polyomino puzzly type of game. It's just like a component and mechanic within the system. There are dozens of different upgrade tiles. There are asymmetrical powers that you start the game with. I think like 15 of them. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of variability in how those come out and when you use them. There is a big deck of cards with give you special powers during the game. You don't take that many of those. So again, a lot of options. Tons and tons and tons of replayability here. Like the opposite of Whistle Stop, <laughs> which was not a very replayable game without the expansion. Yeah, I highly recommend this. If you like puzzly, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know how the best to describe it in that way, but just this puzzly worker placement style of game. Uh, this kind of blends everything together in a very creative, weird mixture of stuff. But the, you know, Luke Laurie's worker placement pedigree is on display here, and I highly recommend it. So this one's a buy for me. I'm really glad I tracked this down. Uh-huh. I almost didn't buy it at all because Whistle Stop just kind of phased, faded out for me. Um, and I've talked to Bezier about not doing this. <laughs> Don't, don't name games after <laughs> other games. Although this might be the first time they've done that and the second game is better. So maybe it worked this time. I don't know. But yeah, Whistle Mountain, highly recommended. Check it out. I liked Whistle Stop and I, I did like the expansion. As you mentioned, there is some minor issues of just, I don't know, just some randomness getting out of control where right. somebody runs away with the game and there's really not much you can do about it because they just got one step ahead of you and that's that's the game. That being said, that did was like, I have it, I played it. It's like you said, it's got some of those issues with it. And that just kind of like kept me away from Whistle Stop. So I'm really glad you say that it's, it's a it's a different game and it's it's a better game because again, that's surprising because I felt like when it came out with the expansion, it really did all the things that it could do. So what else did I need? Right. And then again, like the same situation, this is very confusing because it's not even just, as you mentioned, like it's, you know, whistle stop <laughs> and it's whistle mountain, but it's also the artwork. It's also Bezier. It's the design. You're like, I don't how. And I think they're shooting themselves yeah. in the foot again. So, yeah, it, there's zero reason to talk about these games in the same breath at all other than the designer like caputo worked on both right and you can see like some threads and basic ideas that maybe cross over a little bit but they're not nearly the same game like one is a worker placement game where you're placing polyominoes and building this weird contraption with everybody else like collaboratively too i mean i guess that's kind of the same as a whistle stop where everybody's placing tiles down and you share the tiles i guess but not really it's not the same at all so well, if our future tells us anything, or if Ethnos tells us anything, you know, people do judge a book by its cover. Yeah. So when they see a game that so closely identifies as another game, that's going to be the situation where they're going to kind of walk away. So hopefully uh, your review gets people to get to the table. I do recommend checking it out. It is expensive. I will say that. It, I think it's $70, which is kind of that new price point for euros, unfortunately. A lot of stuff in the box, a lot of cardboard, but it is pricey. So keep that in mind. Ouch. Yeah. All right. Well, I have an older game that I finally got to the table. And, you know, sometimes when you get the older games to the table, it's it's almost a little bit more appreciative because <laughs> it is really hard to get them to the table. And I have a long history with this game. I purchased this game at a convention a long time ago, spent a lot of money on it. And I think maybe back in the day, I think it was about 60, which was a lot for a board game, especially when this came out in 2017. This was from Capstone Games, and it was part of their trilogy. They had Lignum was out there, and it was, you know, a really interesting game. Haspelneck was out there with its expansion. And then The Roar, a story of, of Coltrade, was out there too. And I'm like, I like Haspelneck. That's pretty cool. I like Lignum. It's pretty, pretty good. And then I got this game, and I'm looking at the rule book, and I'm like, oh, no. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> am i reading this upside down backwards like what wh- why why no no and i and honestly i read the rule book then i had to take a nap and then i woke up and then i watched a video or two and i remember that someone did a video 
on the rule book and was like, hey, I just taught you the game, and I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong <laughs> as far as it's concerned. Those early so, capstone rule books, man, they were a nightmare. <laughs> they were. So this game is from Thomas Spitzer, and Capstone, as Anthony's mentioned here, didn't revise the rule book, didn't revise the game. The actual board game does come with the Ohio map, so it does play a different way if you want to play Ohio 1811 to 1861. And one of the things I should mention here is that this game goes through a lot of effort to retell the story of the coal trade. This is not just a, like, hey, you're moving coal. This is really an attempt to talk about the long and storied history of the Roar and of the Ohio River and how they had to go about moving the coal and all the economic problems and challenges that they had with it. So I appreciate that because I do love those games where, like in Lisboa, that there are certain time aspects to it where historically certain things trigger. This game, as far as being a Euro game is concerned, looks very complicated, but honestly, it's very simple. It's a very simple game. (laughs) Now, here's what you do. You ignore everything. You just don't you just don't even look at anything. And you just do one thing the whole game. You plant your boat next to a piece of coal, and then you decide where you want to drop the coal off. Where are you delivering the coal? What cities, what coal factories, what towns, whatever it is. And you make that decision based upon obviously how far you can move. And or if you could take a special action in that round, there are some free actions and some costly actions. And then you look at your player board and you match up the colors of where you would be dropping it with the special additional abilities that you would get on your board. And then you do that thing. Now, there are locks, and that means that just like thematically, you're moving the coal from one barge to another. There's going to be a loss, so you lose one pip. And when you move that die from one spot to another spot, it might only be two spots away. You get money based upon the numbers of pips on the die. That's it. That's the entire game. There's nothing else to this game other than the fact that you will be opening up special abilities that will let you put out trade houses throughout the board and give you some more kind of free actions that you could take throughout the game and how you manipulate the dice. That's it. It's a relatively pretty straightforward, self-contained kind of game. You start on the left side of the board until you open up the right side of the board. And it's either moving black dice or white dice. It's a pick-up-and-deliver game. There's nothing crazy to it. It just happens to have a very bad rule book and a graphic design that's kind of muddled. It's like somebody hit it with, like, a wet stick. Like, they did a graphic design, and then someone just threw water at it. And just, like, it all came, like, a little blurry. Uh, that being said, it's not it's not too bad of a game. plays better at the full player count. At a small player count, it's not so great. Have not played it the Ohio version of this. So I can't speak to that yet, but I will certainly get that to the table and and update you with this. So the roar, the story of the coal trade, I'm going to give it a play, a light play. It's a very self-contained pick up and deliver game. Nothing too complicated about it. But since everyone is doing the same simple things, picking up the same actions and those special actions, which do run out. So if you don't get them, they're out of stock. Uh, that's pretty much it as far as the game. It's an accomplishment to play it. Got through the rule book, played it with friends. It should be played and should be done. 
So that's the rule. <laughs> that's so disappointing. That game seems so unnecessarily complicated based on the rule book. It I, did. I had the same problem as you. I also picked it up and I was like, I, I don't even know where my copy is. I just, I never played it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I busted it out immediately. I was really excited because Lignum was a game I really enjoyed. Lignum is another game that had that same kind of problem where it was a cumbersome rule book, really obtuse. And the gameplay was very fiddly, but it was still a really good game. And then Haspelneck, with the expansion, became a good game. And I was like, oh, these are two decent games if you could hack through it. And the roar, I just hit a wall. And that was it. But I finally got through it, and uh, it's not a bad game. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's talk about the games that we want to talk about. Let's talk about our feature review. So far, feature review this week, we are talking about the top 10 board game covers. A little caveat here. We are not talking about the greatest artist yet. We're not talking about the greatest art in the board games yet, because those are different things, including graphic design, which is also another thing that's extremely important when it comes out to board games. We are talking extreme surface level. We are talking about just the covers of board game boxes. I think we could even do an episode on the backs of board game boxes. Sometimes when they don't give you information or they give you all the information about the game. Because you're making a purchase, right? You switch the box around, Anthony, and you're like, oh, I like this game. And you switch the box around, and you're like, this says nothing. I don't know what to do with this now. So, yeah, we're talking about the uh, one millimeter thick artwork that is on top of the board game box it is certainly essential to get those games purchased get those games to table and they're iconic i mean really when we talk about board games and we talk about iconic elements of board games we might even talk about like kalis right with that iconic you know grumbly king and that blue you know he's like oh yeah um, it's it's not a, artistically a great cover, but it's got so much personality to it. Right. <laughs> so we got the top 10 for you that we'll talk about. Highly controversial, I'm sure, but I think a lot of really good fun because, again, there is so much effort, design, and marketing that goes into creating a cover here. And I think that's super important to talk about. All right, Anthony. So we talked about it. Let's actually show it. Let's go to our number 10. All right, number 10 is Trajan. So number 10 Trajan is interesting for a lot of different reasons. Now, at first look, you're like, oh, here is a Roman senator. Here is a statue, very statuesque. It's a Feld game. Now, the funny thing about Feld games up until this point were they were great mechanically, but rather bland, rather understated like feld was never the guy at the party that was like trying to get attention he was the person in the back like just trying to bring in all the stuff from the car right he did everything (laughs) but he just never was a show horse here trajan the first cover that really showed off the fact that feld is an utter genius and there is a mystique there is a passion there's something regal about his games. When you play Trajan itself, it's all about these different aspects of Roman life. And you look at the cover here, and you you get that. You get that immediately. It's strong. It's a single image. It's refined in the cuts. Now, here's the really interesting part. And you may not be able to see from this particular image, but how he has his t- tunic on 
there is a gold kind of like class brooch kind of thing. And that has all of the symbols that of the rondelle. So as you use this rondelle Moncala kind of thing and you pick up your pieces and drop them off, you get to do different actions. That's actually right on the top. You actually get to see that in gold. So in that one simple image, you're getting the regal nature, the genius, the brilliance that is Stefan Feld, finally, for once, in a board game cover, and yet at the same time, brilliantly and very subtly, here's actually what the game is all about, and it's right on his shoulder to show off to everybody. That's our number 10, Trajan. That's cool. I didn't actually know about the Rondell thing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see the symbols on it. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> all right, number nine, Frenze. Frenze is a really interesting game. This was actually a reprint, as far as the, the, the game is concerned, and especially the cover, from uh, our, our friends over there, Quinn Games, what I like about this cover and so many of their covers is that they make them in such a way that they're supposed to be lined up. They're supposed to be organized. This is the ultimate decorative design for their game. Now, when you look actually at the cover itself, it's beautifully designed. It's outlined. It's showing a regal kind of presentation of what you're going to be doing in the game. So basically in this game, you're building these wonderful towers and you could see here, here's the architect with his wonderful scroll. And you could see the different pieces kind of come and built together. And then, of course, in the background is his wonderful design. The woman here is lovingly and adoringly just passionate about his artistic work. He's so proud of it. And you even get a scroll on the bottom because this game is all about these scrolls, all about these designs. So in one piece, in one beautiful artistic piece, is wonderful kind of like Romanesque Renaissance work of art, you get the idea that you are imparting on a wondrous long-term architectural design that is lavish and beautiful and gorgeous and just intelligently designed and loved by the public. And you just look at this box and you're just like, I want to play this game. I want to be the architect in this world that's building this wondrous design. And again, it harkens back to days of old, but it shows you right there that it's actually something that has been created. So uh, that's our number nine, friends. Uh, number eight on the list. You know we couldn't ha- go with a list like this without Rising Sun. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's it's really hard because, you know, Eric Lang's games, and they're all about battling, and it's all about these unusual you know, characters and these gods and these monsters fighting it out and all these warring tribes and these Ronin and just, it's it's so much of a thing. And what I love about this cover, of course, is that they are using the Japanese characters. They do have the Rising Sun band there. It's so different than any other board game cover that mm-hmm. we've seen. And what you assume would happen, and it kind of happens here, is you think we would get an ethnos kind of cover with all these warring kind of like you know mythological characters fighting it out you do get that but in that very traditional japanese style you get that they're almost like a watermark they are playing a part in history and then you have this one figure standing out separate one of the clans and just beautifully decorative the art the color everything that's in here is just wondrous and in fact when rising sun came out one of the greatest things about rising sun was the fact these miniatures were so well detailed and the paint jobs that came away from this was just amazing. So here, 
you have the overstatedness of Rising Sun and its beautiful artwork and design and mythological characters, and yet it's also at the same time pulled back and focused on your family and your clan trying to reign supreme. And that's our number eight, Rising Sun. So pretty. Yeah, it's not even my favorite Eric Lane game, but just this cover. Every time I see it up on my shelf, it's still way at the top of my shelf, even though I never play this. And I'm just like, man, it's so good. I just love this. <laughs> All right. So the other beautiful Eric Lane, these are. But these two in particular, with Adrian Smith working on the artwork. Number seven, Blood Rage. Blood Rage. So, again, if you're going to have a game that's literally called Blood Rage, <laughs> then you need to have a cover that's literally Blood Rage. Yeah. So you throw it out there, and now you have to do the art to kind of match. And that's really a daunting situation. So, again, you have this one proud, raging Viking who's coming straight out of the box to attack you. Yeah. <laughs> and behind him is Ragnarok happening. <clears throat> The, the fire, the lava, the lightning, the smoke, the ash, the destruction. So much of the game right there on that front cover. Again, this could be one of those situations where it's overdone. There's too much here. But again, they take the same kind of artistic depiction. And the visualization here is, again, about this one clan that is trying to rise from the ashes to reign supreme. And that's really what this game is about. You are trying to control those areas. When you battle out and you bring everything to bear, it happens for that one clan, that one warrior that will stand supreme. And dude, this is a metal cover, right? Why is it? It's like, <laughs> this is like from a metal group, like back in the eighties or the back in the nineties from like Germany or something like that. Right. <laughs> it's got the skull on it. It's got the crow on it. I mean, it's just awesome. It's so Blood good. Rage, our number seven. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to have like an Icelandic name, like Svordjong or something. Yeah, I mean, you really should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to number six, Wizwar. Wizwar. Now, Wizwar has had several reprints over the time, and Wizwar goes way back to the traditional Amerithrash games, where it's all about just attacking each other until you were the last wizard standing. So again, it was all about these old school, high fantasy sci-fi situations with these powerful wizards that are just, again, very 80s metal kind of like, you know, fantasy and science fiction and all that kind of crazy outrageous artwork. Here again, not overdone, but depicting the game beautifully, you have the green wizard out here. You know, I'm a big fan of green. But he shows the other wizards battling out in his crystal ball. And then you have all of these kind of like mystical and, and magical and all of these different potions and, and special abilities and monsters and beasts in the background that he's going to be able to deploy in the game. And again, it has that situation where you're drawn into the cover because the wizard and you are gazing into this crystal ball and it has this kind of like just ever so slightly off to center yeah. uh, perspective that really does draw you in. Like you do have to turn and just like peer in. It's not straight at you. It's off to the side. And that's really a wonderful depiction about Wizwar. And even I should mention the topography here, just how everything is laid out is wonderful how the characters here are just so indicative. They didn't waste 
any part of this artwork here, even all the lettering, the fonts, and everything. Just it's just wonderful. That's our number six, Wizwar. Wizwar. I'm gonna, Wizwar. I'm gonna say them all that way now. <laughs> you might as well. All right, number five, covert. Covert. <laughs> so let's talk about games that are the opposite of the Rising Suns, of the Blood Rage, of the Wiz War. Let's talk about Covert and a very covert game. So what we're looking at here is London at night, the beautiful lights in the back, you know, peering through and enlightening the fog, a light mist that's in the background as our main characters, or our, at least a, one of our main characters, is leaning over the rails as they're, you know, from a distance, they see somebody out there. Now, are they friend? Are they foe? We all know that these are spies, but which side are these spies on? And again, this is a very low-key, beautiful cover, just really soft artworks. The blues and the golds here really stand out. The characters are in shadow, but there's enough detail and there's enough interest in, in all of these characters in the building that really kind of gives you the idea of this kind of spy versus spy world where you're just trying to pass along information if possible and hopefully not get it to the wrong person. I mean, we see modern day classics like Code Names, and it's almost very kitschy. It's almost like very Austin Powerish. Right. And when you see Covert, you're like, oh no, this is the spy trade. This is what they did and how they went about it. And it's just such a warm, interesting, dynamic image that, again, because the, the main characters are in shadow, you do want to peer in there more. You do wonder what they're about. And it's very similar to the gameplay itself. Yeah, this one's really pretty. And very different than most board games these days. This could definitely be on so many different uh, books out there, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a book cover, in particular because of that art style. All right, number four. Uh, this would have been uh, my first pick, too. Like I know you, you put a lot of this together, but I was like, oh, what's a pretty-looking get Scythe, right? It's got to be Scythe. But in particular, Rise of Fenris. Why Scythe the Rise of Fenris made it to number four was because there's something unique about the artwork here. Now, again, I don't want to go into too much detail because <laughs> I feel like there are still certain people out there who haven't played this game. Now, everyone knows Scythe. Everyone knows this kind of like alternate universe, you know, World War One kind of situation in like an alternate kind of European kind of world. And somehow in this kind of like picturesque background with all these farmers and craftspeople are giant steampunk mechs right. because reasons, right? Yeah. And it would be easy to pick the, the, the scythe cover because it's like, oh, these two things don't really go together. But the thing about the scythe cover itself, it's wonderful, but it really doesn't do too much other than going, oh, that's kind of weird how that thing is in there. Right. In the scythe Rise of Fenris cover you are given more of a grand depiction of what it means to have those mechs in that world. So what we're looking at as far as the cover is concerned is really what's startling and hopefully what you could see right off the bat is there is an enormous mech or what we think to be a mech in the background. There are two legs towering above everything else in the foreground. And there is a building, a capital, maybe even the factory, you know, element of the board game itself on fire. So you have this very gray depiction of this destructed 
post-apocalyptic world, and yet in the background is looming this giant, this titan that's in the background. It's not down. It's still active. In the front is one of our main characters, and she is standing out front. You could tell she has some advanced technology, although she's dressed and like depicted, again, like a World War One, World War Two European person of that time period. And you have these very interesting sci-fi characters facing her down, but she's moving forward. So at the same time, again, this looming threat, the rise of Fenris that we get to see depicted in the background, the fog, the smoke, the ash, everything is incurring, and this heroic hero moving forward, and she's just taking the land, and those two kind of like scary alien uh, sci-fi steampunk kind of characters in the back opposing her. And again, uh, Scythe Rise of Fenris, this cover does a great job to give you just enough of what you'll be facing in the game, but not too much. It keeps the mystery of like a covert, but it also gives you kind of like the wondrous, you know, destructive element of a blood rage all in one cover. Yeah, I can see that. And that's our number four, Scythe Rise of Fenris. Yeah, it's a good one. I wish I knew what I'd do with the expansion box because I dumped everything into like the big mega crate box. And then, I don't know, this might have gone to somebody who needed an empty box. It's unfortunate. That's a beautiful box. Yeah. Uh, all right, number three, Cyclades. So back in the day, Madigo Games was really known for these wonderful, like, you know, dudes, monsters, and things on a map. Yeah. <laughs> and when you play these Amerithrash games, you really did want to play something that was otherworldly you did want to play something that really depicts all those Ray Bradbury movies of the past and all of these kind of wondrous monsters here and when you play Cyclades again it's about these different factions and families striving out to control the Greek Isles in this mythological form here on this cover you have this wonderful font that kind of harkens back to the ancient days of Greece you have the metropolis and all the different buildings on the top right. Again, a very important game element here and a, a victory element. You have a cyclops right in the front with a giant boulder about to smash it down on, I guess, the Spartans or the Th Athenians that are out there in the middle. And in the back, a kraken taking down a ship on top of everything else. Again, this is one of those kind of like really straightforward depictions of the game the artwork inside of the game is beautiful but you get everything that you need as far as the cover is concerned it is about these warring states it's about these mythological creatures it is about the wondrous architecture that you'll be able to build up and all together it comes out together as a beautiful masterpiece so when you look at the clay's uh box cover here you're just like you know what you're in for and you go know it's going to be grand and that's really what you really want with a board game cover you put the game down and I remember in particular, our friend Dave would, when we went out to like play games like this in the public, he would take the box cover off and then put it at the end of the table so people would walk by and they and they saw exactly what we were playing. It was advertising the game. <laughs> and there's really no better advertisement for a Cyclades game than this wonderful box cover. That's our number three, Cyclades. Yeah, it's funny. Like we Way back in the day, we had our Kemet versus Cyclades argument. And I think most of us came down on the side of Kemet and I like Cyclades, but I definitely like Kemet more. But specifically on that episode, I was like, well, the artwork's better than Cyclades. It's better cover. 
lot better, a lot better. All right. Number two, Mysterium. Ah, Mysterium. So, again, one of the interesting things about board games is that you really do want to set a theme for the game night. And sometimes the game covers need to be over the top, like Cyclades. And sometimes the game covers just need to set a mood. And Mysterium, a game that I think back in the day when it first came out, I think we had the only the Polish release yeah. came out there. And it was like, I don't know what this game is, because again, it was not an English title as, as English speakers. We were kind of thrown by it. But the box cover, the art on the box cover is still the same. It is this really kind of creepy, ghostly manner that's on top of this hill and this old-fashioned car is creeping its way up there. You don't see monsters, you don't see ghosts, but there is something foreboding about this box cover. And I love this game because when you get this game to the table, you do feel ever so eerily that like, if you open the box cover, something would come out of it because it does look like so ghastly and so ghostly, those fog and those shadows and those lights. It's inviting, and yet at the same time, it's it's so sinister. And again, it just sets the mood. This is another box cover that you could easily, and I would highly recommend, taking the box cover off. And don't put it aside. Put it as part of the game. Let everyone kind of like take in the ambiance that that game cover brings. It might almost like pour fog out of it at some point, because it really just has that kind of like motion that there's something utterly wrong about that manner on top despite the uh the, the kind of the lights kind of got in your way there yeah yeah it's, it's funny too because even if they didn't add the blue light which i think is very effective here because that's that just tells yeah. you ghost you just you don't have to even know the game it's like there's ghosts in this because it's very blue but it, it's just spooky on its own and the way the fog kind of rolls in that's so so well done that's and that's difficult to capture i think in just illustration but it, it works perfectly here Absolutely. And as you mentioned, like this game has a lot of artwork and you could easily overdo this. And it mm -hmm. never does that at all. It never shows a monster or a face in the fog or fangs or knives. It's just like you get it as an adult. You look at this and you go, oh, no, this is menacing. Yeah. I should I feel like I should be afraid about this. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's perfect. All right. So that's number two, Mysterium. And moving on to number one, Abyss. I knew this was going to be number one before we even put the list together. It was just like the spreadsheet had one <laughs> game title in there. It was Abyss. And I was like, well, that's number one. What are the other nine games going to be? That's <laughs> so. true. It's true. It's, it's, you know, again, if you haven't played Abyss, Abyss is this wondrous world about all of these underwater creatures that are trying to conquer a kingdom. And, I remember this board game cover coming out and just going, this is unreal. This can't actually be the box. There's no name on the box. There's no designer on the box. There's no publisher on the box. There is nothing but this one single piece of artwork on the box. And it's just the head of this underwater humanistic, I, I can't even explain, you know, like fish man, uh, a it's a fish. fish I, I guess it's a fish. It's it's something other otherworldly that we're seeing, and that's it. It's just this one piece of artwork. It's dark and it's deep. And again, like it's not just even a solid picture of the face because 
it kind of fades out into the dark waters. It's almost as if you went down there and you saw this face come up at you. It's not a clear, sharp image trying to display just the head. It's like, this is a face in the water. You get that this game is in the water, even though you're not seeing like little bubbles or things yeah. like that. So again, just a very intimidating, glaring, uh, you know, menacing kind of feel to the cover. And again, there's no teeth being shown here. There's no fangs. There's no claws. There's no horns. There's nothing here. But you look at this box and you're almost afraid to look directly at it. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> can I turn this ever so slightly? Because he's looking at me. I'm just saying he's looking at me. Uh, one of the things we should mention here, obviously, this piece of artwork is the most iconic when it comes to Abyss. We've all seen this artwork. But again, this company... Man, did they have like extreme confidence in the artwork here because this is only one of four different covers. They had the same game, four different covers, four different aquatic fish squid people that you could randomly get. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's one of those games that every once in a while I look when this game is on sale, I'm like, I would love to have every box of this. Right. I would love to just line them all up, even though it's the same exact game. You know, it's it's a great game. It's a lighter kind of game. It it, it doesn't like hold the the menace that you think it would, but you know, in inside and out, it's just really fantastic. Yeah, it's funny. Like I I played this game when it came out a couple times. I remember very little of the mechanics, but I remember the artwork very clearly. And it's not just because of the gimmick of the four covers, which Sure. Let's be honest. It was a gimmick. And it earned it, though, because if there's Good. a game that needs to have four covers, it is this one. And it worked. Uh, this game is still in my head. And there's been a lot of games that I played that were solid sevens that I completely forgot about. This is not one that I've forgotten about. So. Absolutely. So board game covers, board game boxes, board game images, board game artwork. The designers do such a wonderful job for setting the mood for helping you pick the game up, for helping you know what the game has installed for you on the inside. These are 10 fantastic, wondrous covers that should be part of your collection if for no other reason than the cover art alone. There's so many great artists out here and we can't say enough about how much wonder and awe that they have added to our game. So we will come back to this talking about the greatest artists, the greatest art designs, the greatest graphic designs, all the great stuff that's out there as far as board game is concerned. But for this week, we're going a millimeter thick, and we're talking about the greatest board game covers of all time. Here are the 10 best. Pick them up, especially Abyss. Uh, I don't think that you'll be disappointed. All right, Anthony. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everybody. Bye.